0: Good morning and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. I'm just realizing my desk is a little bit low today. Uh, But I'm not. I'm not. I'm thrilled to be here with you guys. Excited uh, because we're continuing on with our toy guide today. And we're moving closer towards the end of the year. Also wanted to let you know that I believe that we still, in fact, I had just gotten an email as we started, but I think we're still having Lisa Ackerman on tomorrow to talk about the autism prevalence numbers in the United States. I'll try to discreetly check my email at some point during the show today. Uh, But thrilled and excited to be here with you guys. We're Autism Live as part of the Autism Network. Very excited to be here. I know that that's a little confusing uh, for some people, but for many years, uh, Autism Live was started uh, when Dr. Doreen Grampuchet who was the owner and the founder of the Center for Autism and Related Disorders, came to me, saw that I was doing a radio show, saw that I had things to talk about um, that were related to CARD, because my son was treated at CARD. I'm always going to love CARD, right? But we started the um, autism, first we started it with something called Skills Live, and then it morphed into Autism Live within just a couple of months. And uh, we've been doing that now for 10 years. Stop. I know, 10 years. Uh, and then, uh, in late, uh, early fall, late summer, early fall, I went to the the new CEO of the Center for Autism and Related Disorders and said that I felt that there were some other things that I wanted to do and I needed some wings to fly and that as much as I love CARD and I'm always going to love CARD and that our story is always going to be that we got the help and support that we needed at CARD, that I needed to go do some things outside of CARD. And um, what was super nice and what I, I just always want to say, this is why CARD is so amazing, is that uh, I said, please think about, would you like to placement a um, someone and take over my other duties plus doing Autism Live and I'll stick around to train them. And within two days, CARD and the new CEO of CARD came back and said to me, um, we really think that this is yours. And so we would like for you to take it with you if you think you, it would be useful to you. So um, we are no longer affiliated with CARD, but we're always going to love CARD, right? And I was so thrilled that Dr. Grampy who is now retired from CARD, she's on the board, but she's retired, um, that she agreed to, We've I've created the Autism Network and um, that Ask Dr. Dreen is part of the Autism Network as is Autism Live and a new podcast and hopefully several new podcasts, but one that we're going to about to get started on called Stories from the Spectrum, which will be all um, segments done and produced and curated by individuals who are on the spectrum themselves. So be looking for that in 2022, which seems like so far away and yet it's days away, you guys. So um, so that's what's happening. I know there's like, people are still like a little bit confused. They're like, wait, I don't understand. Uh, that's, everybody loves everybody, <laughs> so I'll make sure that I say that. Uh, there's nothing but love, but now we are part of the autism Network. And you will see that things are going to start to migrate over to the Autism Network website. So if you go to autismnetwork.com, it is up, it is live, um, and you can visit and toodle around and see some things. In fact, we want you to go there and push some buttons and see things and tell us what you'd like there. It is just in the beginning stages, but it is live right now. It is a living, breathing website, which means that it's still in progress, but we're we're showing it to you while we're in progress, right? Autism live.com still exists. We're still there. And in fact, when you go to autism live.com, what you're going to, what you'll see is that you get moved over to autism network, but the autism live site on autism network, which looks exactly the same for now. Uh, but we're hoping that we're just going to make it easier and easier for you to search past shows, having done shows for 10 years. Um, we understand that part of one of the things that we have that we think is of value to you is that chances are that if you have a question, somebody else might have asked a question, something akin to it. And being able to search topics, we just want to make it better and better. And so that's part of um, what's happening on Autism Network is that they're beefing up the search Um, so that you can not only search Ask Dr. Doreen's and Autism Live, but you'll be able to search everything and potentially find answers that might be from an expert from eight years ago, yeah? Uh, So that's part of why we're doing that. But we're, as I said, we're we're thrilled and happy and excited. And you can find the toy guide, the Autism Live 2021 Toy and Gift Guide is available on both sites. If you go to Autism Network, there's a tab up at the top that says Toy Guide. And if you go to autism-live.com, there is a, a button up at the top that says toy guide, and you can find the 2021 toy guide in either place. And we hope that you will check that out. That is, um, It started because I there, there are toys that I get excited about, and I reviewed a toy on this program, and I can tell you what it was. The first toy was the LeapFrog DVD. That- factory. Still, still one of my favorite things. I think it's harder to find now than ever. Um, but uh, still one of my favorite things that helped my child to learn the alphabet. And so I very passionately was talking about it. And then then there was a second toy that we talked about that I think was a Lego toy. And people said, could you tell us more about the toys? So every year we did a festival of toys and we started showing toys. And then people were like, well, you know, I want to know more about them. I want to be able to search them at different times during the year." And, uh, then it, then people were like, could you put a link so that I don't have to go someplace else to find it? And so this is how the toy guide has come up and people would say, Hey, do you have a toy that's good for speech? That's good for a four-year-old. So this is part and parcel of everything. So that's why it's there. It's free to you. Uh, And we hope that you enjoy it. Amanda, good morning. I'm so happy to see you. Amanda's written in and said, last night I watched a video from nine years ago with you and Emily Island. It was about reading comprehension and it was such a great resource even today. I went on to watch her webinar and fell asleep, but I gained some valuable information last night. You know what, Amanda, thank you so much. We love Emily Island. We um, feature her a lot here on the show. She has a wonderful book, and she does a webinar about reading comprehension. Um, I think it's called "Bridging the Gap." Maybe you can tell me. Uh, it's. I feel like it's got the word "bridging" or "gap" in it. Am I wrong? Uh, it's just one of the many books that Emily Island has written, and. Um, She and her son have both appeared on the show together and separately. Uh, They also do the Be Safe, the movie, uh, which I recommend highly to anyone who has a child um, to talk about how to interact with the police because, you know, how important is that, right? Um, But I'm so glad that you found that, Amanda. That's exactly the kind of thing that we're trying to make sure that people can mine for those gold nuggets. Um, And since we're, we're here and we're... We're sharing, uh, I, I, we haven't had Emily on for quite a while, and I know that Emily has been very quietly um, battling breast cancer, and um, but came forward a few months ago and said that that's what's going on. So since we have evoked her, if everybody has got a minute today to speak some love to whatever you believe on behalf of Emily, I'm sure that that wouldn't go amiss, because um, she's an incredible woman uh, that's done a lot for the autism community. Uh, Okay, so Traven has been wonderfully showing you some of the different ways that you can be watching our program. We are live right now on uh, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and a bunch of other sites that Traven has been showing you. We are a podcast. In fact, we are the number one rated autism. This is such a surprise to us, you guys. Uh, We've been doing this show for a while, and we just always call ourselves the little show that could and then all of a sudden, FeedBurner put out the Stats for this year and and named us the number one autism podcast worldwide, which was pretty incredible. Made our day, made our year, really. And uh, but we humbly know that that is because of you guys, because you guys have liked us, you've shared us, you've uh, done, you know, reviews for us. You've put other friends that you know their name. You've put their name into the chat. In Facebook so that they see that they're tagged and they go, why would I be tagged in this? I don't know anything about this. And then they go, oh, maybe I'm supposed to know about this, right? You're clever. You're very clever. And we appreciate that. In any case, uh, that's why we're the number one rated podcast because you guys have participated, which leads me to please participate. Um, Like Amanda and her blue hearts, you can join us in the chat right now, especially if you're live with us on Facebook, on YouTube or Twitter, you can just interact on those platforms and it will show up here um, and no time is lost. But you can also still, it is still working at the moment, um, the comment section on autism-live.com and I believe that this week there's going to be a one that's going to go live on Autism Network. So that will be really fun. And don't forget that if you have a question and you want an expert to answer, Dr. Doreen uh, is on TikTok now, live on TikTok. If you go to ask Dr. Doreen, I guess it's at ask Dr. Doreen. I, I'm not as up on TikTok, you know, take a look at the snow on the roof and you will see why. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen on TikTok, and she's been answering questions, you guys. So that's that's really a cool little feature. And it's free. How much do we love that? So a really remarkable thing. So in any case, um, glad you guys are here. Glad that you're participating. I do like to remind you at the start of the show that usually on our shows, we like to have experts. Uh, on the Festival of Toys, normally I say to you, and I'm not one of them, I'm just not an expert. I'm not an expert in autism, Right. Uh, I'm a mom and a proud mom, and I'm a former teacher. And so not an expert in autism, but, uh, now we do the festival of toys and for the next couple of days, we don't have as many experts on, but I, you know, I will say that I think I'm right up there with, if we're talking about toys and autism, I think I've, I I can go toe to toe with just about anybody. So I'm going to own that. I'm going to say I'm a little bit of a toy expert in terms of autism. I've been putting out a toy guide longer than anybody's been talking about this, so Yeah, I'm gonna own it. There we go. Uh, That's a big moment for me because you know, (laughs) like I always say to people, I'm not an expert in anything. Well, maybe, maybe I'm an expert in toys and autism. Maybe. Let's see. You judge. You tell me. Uh, So hopefully you'll bear with me. And I'd love it if you write in specific questions. If you, if there's a uh, somebody that you'd like to give something to, and you're not sure where, let's look at the toy guide together. Or if we're talking about a toy, and you're like, who would this be good for? I try to give you that kind of context. But if I'm not Uh, doing that, please, please, please let me know. All right. Uh, We do want to start though at the start of the show with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey nani nani are those experts talking about? What does it have to do with us? Why should we bother knowing? right? And last week I was so excited because we did some terms that we hadn't done before. We did self-regulation. And do you know how many times that came up in conversation for me um, during the week? It came up so many times, partially because it was things that I was like, well, I don't, I, you know, I'm falling down here. I Oh, that's a self-regulation thing. I think I can shore that up for myself. Right. Um, so let's take a look and see what today's uh, uh, jargon term is adaptive skills. Now, keep in mind, first, we give you the actual definition. Then when possible, we make fun of it. And then we move on to a working definition. And I try to give you an example, a context, a way to begin to understand it. But be patient with yourself. If you don't get it the first time, it's okay. Although life is short, learning is long. And you can learn and grow and uh, learn more things even still. So Uh, We start trying with a beginning understanding, but don't sweat it uh, if you don't get it at first. Hey, Parker, so great to see you. So let's take a look at what uh, the actual definition for adaptive skills is. Adaptive skills are age-appropriate behaviors necessary for people to live independently and to function safely and appropriately in daily life. (gasps) Isn't that a wonderful definition? Like they're like, I can't even make a fun of anything in there because look at that age appropriate. I like that. Um, and it behaviors, we kind of know what behaviors are, right? And these are things that are, look at the necessary. It's necessary for people to live independently and to function safely and appropriately in daily life. Now when we get to appropriate, I don't know. I don't like the word appropriate anymore because I've argued it so many times, about appropriate. What's appropriate to you may not be appropriate to me. Okay. But in this definition, I like that it's there because there's room for discussion. Uh, uh, Yadira says adaptive skills, diagnosis or not, we all face this reality age appropriate. Love it. Yes everybody has adaptive skills right so um and needs to have more adaptive skills and when as we age we need different ones right what i need to be able to do right now is different than what i needed to be able to do when i was 28 uh, there are things i'm having to learn that are important for somebody my age right um so yes you're right yudira it's everybody Uh, Okay, so let's take a look at what our working definition is and see if we can take it down even a further notch. Adaptive skills are real life skills such as grooming, dressing, safety safe food handling, school rules, ability to work, money management, cleaning, making friends, social skills, and personal responsibility. So that's quite a list, right? I know that a lot of times people, um, okay, so let's say that you have a four-year-old who is diagnosed on the autism spectrum. And we start talking about adaptive skills for a four-year-old. Well, what's appropriate, age appropriate for a four-year-old isn't going to be age appropriate for a 16-year-old, right? We're not going to teach a 16-year-old how to take their medicine. Oh, excuse me. We are going to teach a 16-year-old how to take medicine. We're not going to teach a four-year-old how to take their own medicine. That's a little early for a four-year-old, right? Um, But we absolutely would teach that to a 16-year-old. Um, we, maybe we're starting with a six-year-old or maybe we are, um, that's so distracting treatment. Uh, so, um, in any case, uh, we, there are different things based on, on the age of the person and the skill level of the person, what our goals are for the person. What is, uh, appropriate for one person is not going to be appropriate for another person right? Um, so it's very individualized. But what happens often is that, for instance, if you have a four-year-old who is on the spectrum and you are going to start um, services because you, you want to help this individual, at some point you'll be offered occupational um, therapy at some point, you if they're diagnosed with autism, they should be offered speech therapy. And I would hope to think, especially here in the United States, that you would be offered quality ABA one-on-one um, in settings, in the home, in a center, in the community, and potentially at school, right? Um, and in the beginning, if you were doing ABA, they would work on a wide variety of things. They would be cognition and, and they would be working on adaptive skills, of course, but they would be working on developing language and play skills and a whole bunch of things. But then as children get older, what we see is that insurance companies and ABA companies alike will start to, when kids get to be eight, we start to migrate over into on different things. And for kids that are still deal of assistance with adaptive skills, they will begin to hone in on those things. For kids that have gotten the adaptive skills and moved through them, they'll start to work on more advanced things like executive functions. So what happens for, for people, it's usually between the ages of eight and 11, there starts to be a transition and parents get bummed if their kids are still in the adaptive skill arena. And it's understandable, right? But I I want people to realize what it is you're bummed about. You're bummed that it's taking longer. You're bummed that you haven't progressed past it. You're bummed that you haven't gotten on to the things that are more advanced. But don't be bummed about them still learning adaptive skills. Because the reason why they start to say, we're going to focus on these things is because it's meaningful, And we want to be doing the most meaningful things for these individuals. So if, if I am someone who cannot toilet myself, having someone teach me how to balance my checkbook might not be the most meaningful thing to me. Right. Um, And of course I can come up with three scenarios in which it might still be meaningful if somebody has a medical condition, but if I cognitively, I'm having trouble listening to my body and to, to do the planning around going to the bathroom and wiping myself, then I'm probably not ready to balance my checkbook. And I say probably because I, I think that there are circumstances under which that would be different, right? But so please have your feelings um, about if, if your child has not progressed as fast as you had hoped have your feelings about that. Um, I I really think it's important not to stuff those feelings down. However, don't turn down still continuing working on these adaptive skills because just like in, if we were to see a, I hate the phrase, but a typically developing three-year-old and we see the moment in which they get toileting let's say let's start there when 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 they are able to toilet themselves there is a self esteem that comes with that there is a level of control that comes with that there is a level of self containment that other people aren't touching you know, your private parts and things are coming out of them and you have an understanding of them. It is a self-esteem thing. And then it grows into other things. We see the typically developed kid developing kids will say things like, I do it myself. Right. And that's, pretty typical development right there. Well, imagine if you aren't learning that until you're 14 and somebody is saying or manifesting that same energy, I do it myself. What does it look like when you're a 14-year-old who doesn't have those words? A lot of times it looks like aggression. And that leads to other issues. So it's super important that we um we never give up on the adaptive skills. We first of all, we don't ever give up on an individual. Um, but the the longer that a intervention takes, the more important the adaptive skills become. Does that make sense? Uh, Yadira says we the parents also need to uh, apply adaptive skills when it comes to transitions and learning new skills as our kids grow up. Yes. <laughs> Yes, we have to be cognizant of the fact that our kids grow and our kids change. And thank you for saying that, Yadira. Uh, I know we it changes hard for all of us, right? And we in our household, um we used to make a big deal around two times of the year that uh when it was my son's birthday and when it was his half birthday which I didn't even think about it. His half birthday was yesterday. I got to make sure I say happy half birthday to him. Um, but, uh, so he's 18 and a half now you guys. Um, but we would make a big deal and, and it was sort of built in for me to do a check and go, okay, how are we progressing things? So, and we would say to him, okay, well, for instance, now you're five. So when you're five, here are the new rules. The new rules are that you get to do this, but you must do this. And there was always a flip and a flop to it, right? And when you're five, you can now go into the kitchen by yourself and open the refrigerator door by yourself. But when you're five, you have to pick up your own toys by yourself without somebody helping, for instance, right? Because at five, that's what was age appropriate for him. Now for somebody else, that might be age appropriate at three or it might be appropriate at 17, right? Everybody is different. So, um, but we have to be checking in and moving the goalposts for our kids and allowing them to grow. Um, I will sometimes, uh, you know, my husband and I'll be talking about something and he'll say, but I, you know, I thought the rule was this. And I'm like, oh honey, that was so three years ago, <laughs> right? Um, but I have to check in with that. And now my son is old enough and he's certainly verbal enough that we have discussions about it. And now I have to say to him things like, let's remember that I have never parented an 18 and a half year old before. So we're going to decide together what's appropriate. Yeah. Um, so Shaliza, I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, so this is adaptive skills. They're super important. It is a self-esteem thing. We, Everyone has the right to be able to do for themselves, choose for themselves, state what they want, um, and take care of themselves. So don't shortchange the adaptive skills, okay? Um, all right, let's uh, take a look at our question of the day, shall we? Our question today, and you guys can write into us on any platform that you're watching right now. Shalise, I'm happy that you're here too. Thank you for being here. So question of the day, what would you like for your child to be able to do for themselves? And this question can go both ways too. What would you like to be able to do for yourself? Because look, there are things that I still cannot do for myself. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I still need help with um, some computer things. I go, (laughs) Trayvon, you know, I "I don't know how to do that, right? And some of the stuff I really don't care about. (laughs) Can we be honest? There's just some stuff that it's like, well, I don't really need to be able to do that for myself. And then there's other stuff that I'm like, well, it would be nice if I could be self-sufficient. So answer this question for yourself or for your child or someone you love. But this is a great place to check in. Whenever we're thinking about a lot of you are starting IEPs right now. And when we're thinking about, um, you know, what goals would we like in the classroom, it's okay to dream, it's okay to say to yourself, what would I like for my child to be able to do for themselves? It's also great if you think, what would my child enjoy doing by themselves? What would my team get excited about if they had the ability to do themselves? And let me just tell you, this is the pathway to all the good things. Because when we, you know, that old saying about when you give a man a fish, you feed him for the day, but when you teach him how to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. Isn't that really what we want to do with our kiddos? All of us, no matter what age your kiddos are, don't we want to teach them to fish for a lifetime? It's hard because we want to control, right? And we want them to be safe. And so it's super duper hard. We hold on to things, but um, we can we can teach them the skills so they can do it. Uh, Parker says, uh, good answer. This is from my own perspective. I just wish to control my impulsive eating. I have locks on the freezer, cabinet, pantry, and fridge due to it. And bless you, Parker uh, bless you, bless you, bless you. Uh, I think that that, what a wonderful thing to own and say, I want to be more in control of this. I, as you know, you can look at me and see that I also have, you know, some, uh, things that I would like to control in that category. Right. So I absolutely can appreciate that and good on you for knowing and putting a lock on something I'm sure that you have the key to it, but it's, you're creating a moment in which you've got to think it through. So the impulse has to be slowed down a little bit. Shaliza says, I can't understand how my child is a wizard in computer programming codes, but he can't tie his shoelaces. Well, let's talk about that, Shaliza, because uh, he has the kind of brain that can see things that aren't seeable. And tying shoes is a fine motor skill. Those are two entirely different things. If we were going to compare them to Olympic sports, um, you know, the the computer wizard thing is like somebody who can play chess. I realize chess is not an Olympic sport, but it should be, right? So it's it's like the difference between that and someone who uh, is able to dance. They're just two entirely different skills, and they're in two different areas of the brain, but. Here's the fun thing: is that there used to be, uh, you know, they, they try to crack the code on certain behaviors. There's there's things that they call behavior chains, and tying your shoes is a behavior chain. Um, and you and so behavior therapists go to college and graduate school, and they study behavior chains, and they can do literally do studies on them to see if there if there's a better way to do it. For instance, for years, the Fox and Azrin has been the method of teaching potty training. And people have morphed it and perfected it just a very little bit. But at the core, it is the Fox and Azrin. And people keep trying to see if they can make it substantially better. And they haven't been able to build a better mousetrap than the Fox and Azrin. But in shoe tying, this is an area where there's been a lot of research on this. And lots of people have found lots of different ways to teach shoe tying. Um, like, you know, I was taught it was the whole thing. The bunny had to go around and poke through the hole. It took me forever, me personally, as a child to learn how to try, tie the shoes. Um, and this was an area that my son, you know, not his favorite thing, even now, still not his favorite thing. But I would encourage you to look up, um, search YouTube and put in, Uh, shoe tying methods. Years ago, years ago, we were at a conference in Seattle and there were two women who they were saying, you know, the the current way at that time, it was like a 14 step method for tying shoes. And they had gotten it down to like seven. Um, And it was an entirely different way of tying shoes. There's also one where they color code where there's a red dot and a blue dot on and, and there's a whole thing about, you have to bring the red dot to the blue dot. Um, but there's a whole new way of tying shoes that I just saw something recently. Um, but check it out online. I'll see if I can find it too, but there was a whole new way that I was like, oh, game changer. Cause I think they had it down to three steps and the fewer steps that you can get it to the easier. Now, the other thing is, is that it's practice, practice, practice. Cause it's fine motor. And there's some part where it falls apart fine motor for them. So you can take him and work on other fine motor things. I don't know how old he is, but there's there's different grasps for, for different parts of it too, which makes it harder. But um, look on Pinterest and find fine motor skills and work on those to shore up his fine motor so that he can do it, right? Uh, I will tell you that um, hand-eye coordination is also part of it that's video games. And I'll tell you, they tie shoes better after video games because they got the hand-eye coordination going. It leads to other things. So use caution, but there's that. Um, But the other thing is try to do it. And I learned this from the great CJ Miyaki. Take the shoe off, teach them how to do it, but make sure the shoe is facing the right way, but in front of them. So don't turn the shoe so that it's facing the opposite way, because then you'll have to teach it the other way. But they take the shoe off and they sit it on their lap and so that they can get closer to it and look at it. Because a lot of times our kids have gut issues and when they're leaning over to tie the shoes, it sort of engages the gut issues. So let's take that out of it. And then the other part is you have to make it fun. My goodness. I watched CJ Miyaki do this with my son. And I, you know, my son had, had become so averse if he didn't want to tie his shoes, no matter what tears, hysteria, the whole thing. And CJ came and he was like, uh, he was like, can I have your shoe? And then he tied and he showed him a new way to do it. And he, and he said, Oh, do you want to try? And my son was like, yeah, I want it. Cause CJ made it look cool. And then they had two shoes. So they did races to see who could do it. And anytime my son started to get frustrated, he'd interrupt, do something else fun with him, and then they would do. he would show it to him again, and they would do it. And then he would say, okay, let's have 10 races, and then we're going to go play your favorite video game. So he built in reinforcers all along the way. Gotta, 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 gotta make it fun. Uh, okay, seven years old, but I try to use visual cues. I try to take his shoes off to teach him. It takes a lot of practice and repetition. The color code is a great idea but there's a new method. I'm telling you, there's a new method and it sparked my interest. I wished I'd saved it. I'll see if I can find it though. Um, but try really hard n- not to tie his self-esteem to his ability to tie his shoes yet until he has it. And then, you know, be like, oh my gosh, you're like the most, you know, responsible, you know, you're practically a teenager. You're so awesome. You're so fabulous because now you can tie your shoes. But until he does it, try Cause I'm sure that the kids at school are giving him a hard time about the fact that he's seven and he doesn't know how to tie his shoes. I hate that. I just hate that. Um, but check it out. Look up shoe tying. It's going to blow your mind. And then let me know what you found and I'll try to find it too. Okay. Uh, we always have a topic of the week and what's our topic this week. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I've got lovely screens on my thing, but Oh, Oh, this is the perfect thing for this Shalise, the 5000 hour expert. Okay. So a couple a couple of years back in the 80s, um there was a study that was done and it was done on the violin. So let's be honest here. They they were looking at the violin and they were there was a researcher who was like, how many hours would you have to invest in working on a violin before you were somebody who could call yourself an expert at it. How many hours would it take for for you to be proficient uh, at playing the violin? They weren't talking about talent. They were just talking about, you know, when it's a skill-based thing and the more you do it, the better you are, how many hours would it take before you became an expert? And the theory was postulated that it's probably 5,000 hours, that if there's something that you want to be able to do, Um, and, and they, they did it with the violin and they looked at kids and adults across and said, you know, so this person started taking violin lessons. This person is a proficient violin player. You know, how did we get there and reverse engineer in the whole thing? And they came up with a number of 5,000 hours that that's about what it takes to become an expert in anything. Um, and they further postulated that this could be applied to absolutely anything. If you want to be a brilliant golfer. And right now you are not a brilliant golfer. If you were to do 5,000 hours worth of targeted experience, and this is the asterisk here, you can't just be messing around with a violin or in your backyard putting. It's got to be like, you know, you've had somebody show you how to do it and you're practicing the right ways to do it. That 5,000 hours, that within 5,000 hours, pretty much anyone can become an expert in anything because you've put that much time into it and you've developed the skills and now you are proficient at it. Again, we're not talking about talent. So you're not necessarily going to be yo-yo ma, right? But that you're going to be able to be someone who can, you know, take out a violin and play it and people aren't going to run screaming for the hills, or you're going to be able to play golf and play it respectively. Maybe you're not going to be on the, the circuit but you're going to play it respectably, And that the reason why people don't get good at things is because they start doing it and it takes so much time and energy and it's not reinforcing because they're not good at it. And so they stop. So that thing that your mother and your grandmother always talk to about discipline, right? Really comes into play in this 5,000 expert thing. So what does this have to do with autism? Well, a lot actually, because we talk all the time about, um, there are skills that someone uh, would like to have or skills that we would like to give someone that aren't easy for them. And how many hours does it take? Well, I started doing the math on this 5,000 hour uh, thing and going, okay, let's just admit that for individuals on the spectrum, that learning is a little bit different um, and sometimes it takes the teacher a while and sometimes it takes more t- more opportunities for the person on the spectrum to learn whatever the thing is that they're doing so um, so I was like maybe for if we're trying to teach someone for instance how to be able to access language and probably if you if you kind of look at the figures of it kids who are, typically developing kids, again, I hate that term, are immersed in language and they're reinforced for language and they spend way more than 5,000 hours. So how many hours would it to reasonably say that we have given uh, uh, an individual on the spectrum, the opportunity to gain a skill, it would at minimum be 5,000 hours, at minimum 5,000 hours. So figure out, do the math on that. And I was saying it could be between 5,000 and 10,000 hours. And you begin to see how intensive intervention needs to be able to do. So what is it that you want your child to be able to do? And have we gotten anywhere close to giving them 5,000 hours worth of opportunities that are directive? And, you know, I think the answer probably across the board is, gosh, no, we could afford to put some more hours in there. I know I recently started um, a pottery class and to learn how to throw on the wheel. And they said in the class, they said, hey, you know, because the first class, Oh, what a mess. What a mess. What a mess. Right. Um, but they said, don't worry, because it. they estimate that it takes about 10,000 pots before you throw the perfect pot. And I thought, well, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Because it takes about a half an hour to throw a pot. It's 5,000 hours. I got to put 5,000 hours in before I'm going to be a proficient pot thrower. Now that doesn't mean, you know, at this point, I probably have put in a couple hundred, I'm going to be honest, I've shown you guys before, this is this was supposed to be a pot, not a perfect pot. This is probably the fifth thing I threw. And it's my little candy dish uh, now that I keep my thumb drives in, right? Um, so this is still useful. I'm learning and I'm using it as a thumb drive thing, but it's not a perfect pot. Um, but the goal isn't necessarily always to throw a perfect pot The goal is to be learning, but if we don't take an intensive stance on how to learn, are we really doing what's best? And I would say, you know, let's talk about safety. How much of an expert in safety do you want to be? How much of an expert in safety do you want your kiddo to be? I want to make sure that I put in 5,000 hours with my kid on safety issues, right? So, um, intensive is the is really the key here and 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 cutting yourself some slack and saying well we're not there we haven't invested 5000 hours yet and if you haven't invested 5000 hours in yourself to be able to do something and do it well maybe it's time to reevaluate that but if you have not invested 5000 hours in helping your child to be able to speak helping your child to be able to do adaptive skills whatever it is um to make a friend to be able to do their chores you got to say to yourself, oh, we need to invest some more time in that. Yadira says, we experienced this with primitive reflex exercises. It took a lot of work, took a lot of effort, a little patience, adaptive skills, but after so many hours, it actually took months to witness the growth. Yes. Patience, persistence. Yeah. Um, but there is a reinforcer at the end for all of it. So the 5,000 hour expert, what do you want to be good at? What would you like to be able to do when my son was little and we were having to reteach him to speak? I wanted to be an expert in autism. I wanted to know everything I had. I still have, cause I moved it from our old, uh, condo to our, our current house. There's a, um, a little, I put little post-it notes, but they were, eventually they were prettier than post-it notes, little signs around our house. And one of them that was on the bathroom mirror said, uh, Jem's team is only as strong as the weakest player. And I will never be the weakest player. Think about that for a minute. Jem's team is only as strong as the weakest player, and I will never be the weakest player on his team. So, Parker, you want to pursue stand-up comedy um, or be an expert on sitcom sitcoms Parker, you can be a stand-up comedian. I would love to help you to do that Parker. <laughs> you know I used to do stand-up. Uh, that's totally and you know there are several uh, I know several uh, stand-up comedians that are on the spectrum Parker. Let's talk shall we? Uh, that would be fabulous. I think that that's a wonderful goal. I love, love, love that. And you can be that. And I can also tell you too, the more time you spend on stage in comedy clubs, the better you get at it. It is one of those things that, you know, experience is really helpful. So let's, let's you and I have a chat, Parker. We need to have a confab on that. That's super fun. Uh, okay. So moving on, that's our topic for the week. We're going to talk about what do you want to be good at? What do you want your kiddo to be good at? What, you know, what would you like to make an investment in time in? And it is 5,000 hours is a lot of time and it's not something you can get done in a week, right? You got to be patient to be able to do it, but you get there. Okay, so um, I said that we were going to continue on with the toy guide, and I really want to do that. Today, we're talking about two of the different categories from the toy guide, and and I just have a couple of things I'm going to show you, but we're going to show you some pictures, and we're going to chat through them pretty fast, but I love to talk about these things. So the first category that we're going to talk about is the card and board game. I love me a good card or board game, the opportunity to sit down with family members and to have time outside. Of time. And always when I was a kid, there was something about when we sat down as a family and we were going to play a game that it meant that um, it was, it's just so hard to describe. It's more than leisure. Like leisure can be just sitting around and everybody watching a TV show, right? That's leisure, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with leisure. But when there's card and board games, It's like you get to reveal parts of yourself and get to know parts of other people. There's something about it that's magic. And to me, it really screams holiday because we don't often take that time. We should. We should take the time all the time. I love, there are friends that I have that are um, of a, a certain, they belong to a certain church and they have family home evening. And there is one day that's set aside per week and their whole church does it. And they get together with your family and you play games and you do things that are good for the family. What a great thing. Um, that is available to everyone. You don't have to be a member of that religion. And we have tried several times in our family. It's just like so hard because we have not prioritized it. Even as I hear myself say that, uh, we need to prioritize But everybody has different schedules and to say, okay, every, you know, this day of the week we do this hard, 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 um, but not impossible. So it's a great thing to do with your kiddos though on the spectrum. This is great for anybody. But when you have a kiddo on the spectrum, it's almost like this should be like a law. This should be regulated. You should have to do this because it's an ideal place to learn and fail and be okay. A safe place to fail, as Dr. Phil says. Um, And it is great time to be together. And sometimes when we're together and we don't have anything to do, we don't have an activity to do, it's sort of weird. Um, I was just watching something the other day where they were talking about don't don't just go on a date, like have an activity to do so that you've got something to focus on and the person reveals themselves to you. Same thing with getting to know family members and kiddos on the spectrum and siblings needs and so on and so forth. So card and board games, really good, right? Family activities. So let's start with our baby toddler category for the, the card and board games. Uh, this comes to us from Skip Hop, great company. And it's Z- the Zoo Crew memory game. Didn't I say the other day, we always have a memory uh, game somewhere because they're so great. We were just talking about working memory the other day. Some of our kids are fabulous at this. Some of our kids struggle with this and you don't know which until you kind of do this. It's like an assessment game. And I love this because it's got the zoo crew characters, which I'm not as familiar with but apparently the kids are and everybody loves a good llama. I love (laughs) the, the, the different animals have their alliterative. So um, each animal, their, their name starts with the the first letter of whatever that, you know, so it's Darby dog, right. Um, And they're colorful and they're cute. And so you, you start small. So maybe you start with six different pairs. So you've got 12 cards that are there and you have to flip over and match. You can do this with very young kids it because it doesn't have to be about winning. You can turn them over and say, where's the dog? And then you flip it over and go, it's Darby dog. And then you flip it back over and go, where's the dog? And the child, you know, reaches over. And does, so it's not even like, you know, there there doesn't have to be a winner for a toy and ga- game game. Uh, Like this to be effective, but you can be with this, you can be working on, um, names of the animals. You can be, you could add the sounds to it. You could flip it over and go, there's Darby dog. You're showing the text. So you're pairing that. Um, they're working on memory. You can say what noise does the dog make, build that into it as well. It's a really easy game, cost-effective. Any of the memory games are great, but we love this because it's got the zoo crew and because it does have the liter- literative animals. So you can use it for teaching many different things. Fabulous. Okay, moving on to the preschool category. One of our favorite companies is Think Fun. And Zingo is, um, this is a wonderful bingo game, but um, instead of using numbers, they're using really core language elements like you see heart, apple, shoe, clock, dog. So it, it, it's got a picture so you can do it with pre-readers and with beginning readers and you're partnering that, you know, there's a, there's a hand-eye coordination element this has won so many awards. They use it in schools all the time uh, with young uh, pre-readers because it's so exciting and it's so much fun. You see the little box that's there? Um, it, it I don't even understand it, but it spits out um, the things. And for whatever reason, the kids just love that. You don't have to do the turning the wheel for the bingo thing. Um, but so it's Zingo because it's bingo with a zing. Kids love this. Very cost effective. Um, oh, Parker, are they saying that it's been discontinued by the manufacturer? Um, well, I, I think that you can still get some of them right now in the market, but it is an award winner uh, and it has been for us. So um, I'll, ch- I'll look into that, Parker. Um, okay, our next one is for school-aged kids. And this is particularly fun because we've had this toy maker on the show which is super duper fun golden bell studios uh this the the toy maker who invented this is someone, he's a gentleman who is on the autism spectrum. He is a senior citizen, and it has been his lifelong dream to create a board game. And he finally achieved his goal about two years ago. Golden Bell Studios picked this up. It's called Keys to the Capitals. There's a certain age when your kids need to know the capitals and they need to know little fun facts about them. Instead of just learning that dryly, get this game and, uh, you know, make it super duper fun. It's a really wonderful made game, very colorful. Uh, and you can learn those capitals, which we really, you know, they're going to have to know it in school. So you might as well work on it in a fun way. And a lot of kids really get into this. Now, our next one, I actually have it here with me for our tweens and teens, which is hard sometimes because you have to get them to the table And sometimes that's a cute little trick, but this was our tween teen winner. It's from a company called go chuckle. And the name of the toy is hasty Baker. Okay. When our kids are tweens and teens, we need to get them interested in their food and understanding where their food comes from and how you make food. Right. And, you know, many of us like to watch like the great British British bake off and all the other, you know, funny shows And I think that's a great thing for our tweens and teens to watch because they, they see things being made, but it's a little, you know, it's like the tougher stuff. Right. And not everybody's going to be interested in that, but everybody likes to eat chocolate cake. So there are cards that come and you know what this game reminds me of, and I've already spilled some of them on the floor. Um, there's, this was a winner of ours years ago. There's a card game called Millborn. It's a French card game. Um, and, um, My family super loves that game. And this reminds me of that game, except it's got the food element to it. So that there are cards in here. And, of course, I'm not. I think those are the ones I spilled on the floor when I opened it up. Um, I played this the other day with Dr. Grampy and her family. So there are cards that you turn over that um, are recipe cards. And it says, so everybody gets a recipe card. And here's one right here. So, for instance, it says you're going to make, didn't I say it, chocolate cake. And it tells me on the recipe card what ingredients I need to collect. I need to collect chocolate, frosting, butter, and flour. Great. So I set that on the table in front of myself. And then I have a a set of cards that are dealt to me. And everybody has their cards. And every turn, I can look at my cards. And look, I have milk in my hands. But it doesn't go with chocolate cake. I have berries, but they don't go with chocolate cake. I have flower though, and I need, so I'm looking at my card and the illustrations on these are just super cute, you guys, Um, because they all have little character faces on them. So I can set down my flower and I also have butter, so I can set those down and that's my turn. But here's where the fun comes in: is that I also have cards that are like I have one here that says "wild ingredient," and I have another one somewhere I don't have it here, but that says "spoiled ingredient," and I have to start to think executive function wise that I'm watching my my uh, people that I'm playing with, and I see that somebody's about to finish their um, making their cake, have all their ingredients, and so I can play a spoiled ingredient and I can spoil their butter. And it gets really, really uh, nasty (laughs) in a very fun, fun way. And what it does is it, so I got to think things through. I got to think one turn ahead so that I can spoil an ingredient before they're done with their recipe. I have to consider who, who do I have to give the whammy to? Um, I have to be thinking about which cards I want to play. I, I then have to problem solve. If my butter was spoiled, how do I problem solve and take care of that? I got to get more butter, right? And at the core of all of it, it's teaching the real life things about how we make ingredients and that I have to think ahead. I don't know if you have people in your household that think that uh, groceries just appear in the in the refrigerator. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? So it teaches them to be thinking ahead. I love this game. And we played this the other day uh, with Dr. Pichet's family. We all loved it. It comes in a super fabulous little box. So it's not taking up much space super duper fabulous fun. Okay. Next game, uh, for adults is Tommy's game. Articulate, uh, articulate, articulate. I think it's articulate. Uh, and this is a fun game too, uh, that I had trouble get, I wanted to demo it and I had trouble getting my hands on it, but, um, there are cards and you get 30 seconds and you have to do say as many things uh, you have to describe Many words to describe whatever is on the card, which is super clever and gets our adults in like there's this time element, which is really good for adults um, without stress, right? Because it's a fun, but it helps them to be able to build up those pathways in their brain to think of things quickly. Right. And getting them verbalized or signed or on the iPad or whatever it is that they do. So I really super love this game. I, I want to get my hands on it. And then for our caregiver category, uh, super fun game from Endless Games, it's Jeopardy, but it's the card game. So this is even something you can take in the car with you if you want to. We all love Jeopardy and it's like a travel version of Jeopardy. You know how we we used to have the game Jeopardy and you'd have to put in the card and put all the money things in. You don't have to do that with this. So it's Jeopardy the card game, the very best of Jeopardy. um, But in cards, instead of setting up that grid, really love it. Endless games, smart. um, They make smart, smart, smart games. Uh, okay, so that's our card that's the, those are all now we have other board games and card games that we gave awards to, but they were in different categories. Those were the best of the card and board games in that category. So let's move on to puzzles. Uh, we're almost out of time here, and we don't we wanna leave time. so in uh, the baby toddler category love this from Kaplan, uh, a first puzzle. they're texturized, so they're animals. It's a two puzzle set. And what I love is that when you take the, they're good wooden pieces, they're chunky. There's it's almost errorless. There's no possibility that they could get it wrong because the blue dog goes into the spot that has the blue dog and it only goes into the blue dog, but there are textures to it. So there's a, a sensory component to it. That's really fabulous. Kaplan. Uh our preschool one, of course, always have Melissa and Doug, um, toy winner because they're so great that this self-correcting puzzle again talking about errorless so it's you're introducing puzzle snap together pieces but they have the letters on the one side and the animal that goes with it so the t goes with the tiger and it only fits those two pieces so teaching puzzle making but doing the letters and pairing it with um something that has a picture that starts with that perfect melissa and doug great quality toys, right? Our school-aged one, another think fun, great thing. Look at this Wonga Wonga puzzle. It's called a moon spinner and you have to snap it together and it only goes together one way with the different moons. Super duper fun and can be a decoration on their wall as well. Moving up through the teen and tween from R.O. Wood. If you have a kiddo who loved marble runs, and we always have a marble run somewhere in our toy guide because our kids love them. Let's just be honest. Our kids love marble runs. Our therapists love marble runs. It has a beginning, middle and end to it. It's cause and effect. It's a super great toy. And a lot of our kids, they, you know, they played with them when they were kids and now they're teenagers and you want to make it more age appropriate. Well, this is a puzzle, it's wooden, and it's a puzzle that they have to put together that when it's done, it's almost like the old mouse trap. It's a marble run of the highest level, but it's a puzzle that they have to put together. Super fabulous. I absolutely love this. They make other things as well, but you knew I had to have a marble run in there. And then our last adult one um, wait because uh, then I have a caregiver one too um so for the adults we have an, a, the one pictured there is the Hogwarts clock tower which we actually built last week and you'll see it in the videos with dr grandmpuchet that we um, we haven't shown any we, we got to show some of those at some point um Traven but uh we'll put them up on YouTube we put one of those together that Hogwarts um, the clock tower and it's a what they are, they're Rabbit 3D puzzles. They're so much fun. Oh my gosh. If somebody in your house loves to do a puzzle, you will love the Rebbit puzzles. And if they are a puzzle maker who loves Harry Potter, it's like, stop, get out. It's it's like crazy making, so much fun. Last year, we put together Ollivander's Wand Shop, of course, uh, at Christmas time. My family absolutely loves it. it you know what? It is puzzle making, but then there's an extra element to it because then you put the 3D together. It is ridiculously fun, you guys. This right here that I'm holding up is the bus, the night bus. They have almost everything that Harry Potter ever, ever was. The award winner though was that clock tower. It is so beautiful. you'll see it in the video that we did with Dr. Grand but I wanted you to see they, they have everything. It is so much fun. And they're not the hardest puzzles, but you will, when you sit down, if you're a puzzle doer and you sit down to do it and you go, wait a minute, this isn't your typical puzzle thing where you just look for the edge pieces. You really got flexible of thinking. Oh my gosh. Um, But then once you get it, it's like getting over into a different part of your brain. So, so good. So, so, so good. I love that Amanda says, uh, my son will love that marble run, but he's uh, five. Uh, and check the age range on it. And if your child is not somebody who's putting things in his mouth, it might still be appropriate. Uh, we say this all the time that uh, there, are, there are things in the adult category that might be great for your six-year-old, and there's things in the six-year-old category that might be good for your adult. We put them in the age categories to start, but you know, check out all parts of the toy guide. And then our last um, winner in the puzzle section, let me turn this around this way, Um, is from Masterpieces Inc. Great puzzle company. Uh, And we just loved this. uh, My family used to always do a Charles Wysocki painting every holiday because that's what my mother loved. This is not a Wysocki, but it's got that feel to it. Um, And it's just a great holiday puzzle with all the different holiday elements into it. But check out all the puzzles that Masterpieces Inc. has For adults, This is your typical, but but what I love about, you gotta do a good puzzle because you gotta get to the reinforcer, which means that you can fit the pieces together and you can see that they go together. So I love, um, this is a 300 piece puzzle, so it's not too hard because we wanna be able to put it together and and get to that reinforcer, right? And we, you know, let's be honest, as caregivers, we don't have seven days to do a puzzle anymore. 300 pieces, easy grip, well-made, Um, the pieces go together. You can tell they go together and you get the beautiful picture when it's done. So there are our winners. We're out of time. Um, the whole thing with the new prevalence numbers. So you're not going to want to miss that. My internet is going. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye bye for now.